Hey team, I want you to meet Matt Baxter, Director of Product Management at Bestow. But first, here's what Andrew Miller said about Matt. Matt Baxter. He's currently the Director of Product at Bestow, where I worked before Monograph. And he's just a great product leader. And um, he was taking a brand new business unit to market when I was on my way out. And it was a huge project. And it was just so much fun to watch Matt do his work. And I know you'd have tons of uh, interesting details to share about the go-to challenges that we faced. Matt, what are three ways your team converts your market into revenue? Yeah, I think there's really the three ways that I thought of really all kind of revolve around making life insurance more accessible for people. So for one, for individuals, life insurance is typically a multi-week long process that uh, requires some doctor's visits. And so it's a really big barrier for people to actually go and acquire it. And so our platform cuts that down to just a couple of minutes and basically an instant decision. So that's one kind of with direct individuals. Um, the other way is through just empowering life insurance agents. So they are really a key critical part of the process for people to kind of navigate and figure out really what is going to work for them and what their needs are. And so we also use our platform to empower uh, those agents to do their job faster and easier. And then the third way is using our platform to enable other life insurance carriers to be able to sell term life more efficiently. Um, term life insurance is typically a pretty low margin business, but it's something that people really want and need. And so we've been able to take our platform and make it available to life insurance carriers so that they can use it to sell life insurance faster in the same way. What are three hard problems that you recently overcame? So related to you know offering life insurance carriers our platform, that was basically what kind of my last year looked like was uh, taking the Bestow platform that we had built to sell directly to customers and you know reorienting it and evolving it to be able to be the software as a service offering. And so there was just a you know a lot of alignment and coordination across pretty much every team at Bestow to kind of take, you know, this one way that we knew of, of working with things and the way that we thought of our platform and kind of shifting it from a perspective of not just, this is something that enables us to sell to our customers, but to be able to enable others to sell to their customers. And so definitely learned a lot of lessons just around, you know, giving people the right context, helping people understand why, you know, their pieces matter to this kind of big, huge uh, whole of a project. And then uh, another one would definitely be scaling uh, the Bestow product team. So when I joined Bestow about two and a half years ago, we had a team of about four or five product managers. And now our team is uh, right around 20 now. And you know that's just been, I think, a lot of learning around figuring out how to get all these product you know, managers and different product areas to coordinate with each other, understanding kind of the dependencies between them, how we can kind of enable each other to ship faster and you know, not get in each other's way as we're trying to uh, get products out to market. And so, you know, just learning how to coordinate with that group and to do it in a way that we actually enable each other instead of just have to work around each other has also been, I think, definitely a hard problem to solve and something that we've been working on. And then the third thing that I would say is I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, but I think especially the last two years of working from home for me, um, I've got three young kids from nine years old to three years old and working from home, whether you know they had school lockdowns or when it's in the summer and they're at home um, has definitely taught me a lot about just flexibility between you know work and life where it's not as straightforward of just 
leaving, going to an office and coming back a couple hours later, but definitely learning to have more flexibility with that and give more grace to myself and to others. What are three questions you love to ask and why? Yeah. So I was thinking about that from kind of a couple of different angles, both, you know, for myself and others. And one of the first things that came to mind is just whenever I am getting started on, you know, somewhat of an ambiguous effort, or I don't really know kind of where to start with something kind of the, the blank, uh, the blank slate problem is just identifying something that I can do to make just even a little bit of progress in the direction that I'm trying to go. Even if it maybe doesn't totally solve the problem that I'm trying to go for, it doesn't provide all the answers. I find just getting momentum on it is really helpful. So I always ask myself, okay, what's just one thing that I can do and kind of feel like I've checked off to start moving in that direction. Um, a question I really like to ask uh, my teams and you know coworkers as we're working through things and looking for ways to improve things is asking uh, just what is something that feels harder than it should be? And so I think it's a really good way to expose areas that you know, maybe you've lived with in your product or your process that, you know, some circumstances have changed and you don't really have to live with that anymore and you can find ways to improve it. Um, or it just allows you to kind of have some reflection in some areas that maybe have been difficult to figure out and untangle and people have kind of avoided it, but it's an opportunity to really look at it and say, you know, are we okay with it being this hard or is it hard for a reason that we can actually change and improve? And then the other one that I really like to ask others just in terms of learning from them, and especially uh, when I'm interviewing uh, product manager candidates, is asking just what differentiates you or makes you more effective than other people in your role. So whether you're a product manager, if it's like other product managers or engineer and things like that. And I think it's a really interesting uh, question because I don't think a lot of people enjoy talking too much about the best parts about themselves. So it kind of gives them an opportunity to reflect on that. But it also, I think, opens up just uh, shows kind of what's important to them and what they really like to focus on. What are three mental models that you use to do your best work? Yeah. So the first thing that I thought of, and this is probably a whole bucket of mental models, but um, whenever I'm trying to work through something or figure out how things relate to each other is I try to get the problem um, as visual as possible and as quickly as possible. And so whether that's, you know, using my whiteboard and just writing it out or, you know, getting some sort of online whiteboard like Miro and just trying to map something out with sticky notes. Um, I really find that being able to visualize the problem space can help you to kind of uncover patterns and figure out how things relate to each other uh, differently than you might even if you were writing about the problem or, you know, if you were trying to explain it to somebody. And so I know not everybody's a visual thinker, but it's almost always the first tool that I go to when I'm trying to understand kind of the landscape of something. Um, another thing that I like to use, and this is really just for prioritizing my own uh, tasks and things that I need to get done, is something that I've heard of called the LNO framework, which stands for leverage, neutral, and overhead. And basically, it's a way to kind of look at the things that you need to do and understand kind of how much effort and time you need to put into any one of those tasks. Uh, they're all things that probably need to get done um, to some degree, 
But basically what it allows you to do is, especially if you have any kind of perfectionist tendencies, it basically allows you to really put the most effort into the things that you're going to get the most out of. So if you can look at a task and say, you know, hey, if I get this task done, it's going to provide a lot of leverage and either it's going to allow me to take a big leap in this problem that I'm working through, or maybe it's going to enable others to do their work better, then you kind of see that as a leverage thing. And that's something that you really want to spend, you know, a good amount of time on to get right. But if you're looking at something that's, you know, neutral or even something that's overhead, those are things that you can kind of allow yourself to maybe not put in, you know, 100% of your best effort into just because you know that there's not going to be a huge payoff out of it. And you can kind of allow yourself to just check off that box and move past it. Um, another one is really just thinking in probabilities versus thinking in right and wrong, especially when it comes to you know, forecasting or trying to predict what's going to happen, particularly if you're bringing, you know, a new product to market or you're trying to launch something, you're trying to understand what the risks might be involved. Um, I find, you know, a lot of times it's easy to say, oh, I think it's likely this is going to happen or I think it's unlikely this is going to happen, but really it makes it hard to have a conversation around it. And so if you can actually put probabilities to things, even if it's just something that you pull out of thin air and you say, well, I think we're 70% likely to succeed in this effort. It kind of creates an opportunity for a conversation for somebody to say, well, you know, what can we do to get that closer to 100% or, you know, are we okay with 70% and maybe that's what we want to live with. What are three techniques that other GTM teams need to try? Yeah, so I, I think I mentioned uh, writing earlier uh, as opposed to visualizing things, but I do actually really believe in the written problem statement, um, both in terms of the person who's you know trying to define what the problem statement is, because I find that when you have to write out the problem, it really requires you to understand it fully and you start to see just some of the own holes in the way that you've obsessed it or some areas that you need to spend some more time um, digging into. And then it also allows people who are reviewing it to really spend some time kind of interpreting it, understanding what you meant by it, you know, maybe catching things that you assumed that everybody else, uh, you know, was aligned on, but you need to find some alignment there. And so I think, you know, having those written problem statements is super important. And along with that, creating time within meetings for silent reading of those problem statements. And so everybody's busy. Not everybody has a time to do pre-read, you know, spend time on the pre-reads before a meeting. But even if you just take five or 10 minutes out of your 30-minute meeting so that everybody can fully re read and digest it, it can really make that discussion more effective. Um, the other thing that we've been experimenting with lately at Bestow is uh, working on vision types. And uh, we kind of define those as basically really, you know, fuzzy kind of future looking prototypes for things that we're trying to wrap our heads around, but we really don't have a, you know, a defined uh, scope of what it's going to look like. And we found that doing this really allows us to create something tangible that we can have a conversation around and talk through, even if it's not, doesn't cover all of the boxes or doesn't check, you know, all the regulatory issues that we might think need to think about. It kind of provides just this visual flow that, you know, someone can interact with and talk through. And I think it's a lot easier to kind of get in the mindset of, is this going to work or is this in the direction that we, you know, want to go even more so than, you know, a set of requirements might, written requirements might be able to indicate. And then uh, the other one I think is just asking a question for when you're, you know, working on prioritization of things, which is, you know, what would happen if we waited 
you know, three months to do this or nine months to do this. And it's kind of, I think, a more specific uh, way of asking, why do we need to do this now? But I think, you know, thinking about the future state of, you know, somebody says, oh, we really need to do something, or this is a really big opportunity. And, you know, projecting into, well, what if we didn't have this in three months or nine months? You know, would this really still be an issue? Is this an issue that we can live with? Is it something that, you know, maybe isn't as important as we thought it was? And so it can really help to uh, actually quantify the opportunity and the problem that you're talking about. Who are three operators that should be our next guests and why? Yeah, this is a great question. I really like, you know, the chance just to chat with about people that I've really enjoyed working with. Um, so I had a few people in mind. Um, one is Koshik Sahu, and he's an engineering manager that I used to work with. And, you know, despite being in the engineering organization, he's just got such a great uh, product and kind of perspective on what is really needed to ship something. And he and I have worked on some great things. And, you know, his partnership has just been crucial to be able to get those things out the door. Um, another person that I would say is Ben Newell, who's uh, right now a senior director of product at Stitch Fix. And I haven't ever actually worked with Ben, but he and I have been in a lot of the same kind of product circles and I've gotten to watch a lot of great talks that he's given. And he just has so many great insights on how to do product well and how to run product teams that I've always just looked up to uh, the things that he's shared with that. And then uh, the last one, which I will take, you know, the concession for one person from my own company um, is Sylvia Sento, and she's the director of technical program management at Bestow. And she has uh, just been, you know, critical to so many of the things that we've launched at Bestow uh, recently. And she just has an incredible ability to get people together and help to identify blockers and come up with plans of attack to kind of break those things down and actually get the things out the door that we're trying to ship. Thanks a lot, Matt. What should people who love what you're saying go do next? Yeah, you know, if you want to, you know, hear more about these things, I love tweeting about them on Twitter. Twitter has kind of become like my product management uh, learning resource and places where I like to share things and follow a lot of others on. So you'll definitely find, I think, a lot more about that there. Hey team, what did you think about this? I think you need to put Matt Baxter on your go-to-market radar. If you can't recruit him, you can go join Matt's team over at Bestow or you can come join mine at Monograph. We're both hiring. Oh, by the way, have we met yet? I'm Chris Morgan, host of the Market to Revenue podcast. Shoot me an email right now about what you thought about this episode. It's chris at markettorevenue.com. Talk to you in a moment.